started um, or I guess I no actually the <laughs> so after I watched Thomas Crown Affair before I watched uh, before I rewatched Jerry Lewis is hardly working for the main feed I was able to see the last thing that John McTiernan has directed um, it's a commercial for a Tom Clancy video game called the red dot and it's 90 seconds long it's pretty interesting um, interesting in terms of like damn that's the only work he could fucking get. <laughs> when when was that? Like 2014, I think. Okay. 2015. You know, shortly after he was released. Be <coughs> sorry, my throat's been a little bad on this session, but... What's he been up to other than that? I guess just be toiling around in director jail after toiling around in real jail <laughs> for a year. So yeah, I, I, I saw you make some sort of reference to McTernan being locked up, and I was like, what was it for? And... To be honest, I think he was watching a little bit too much of his own movies. Yeah, <laughs> because because his he sent someone with a wiretap to like try to get information out of his producer over like a conflict on how they made the film for his Rollerball remake. Yep. I, I mean, it's a pretty harsh sentence, I guess. But I guess he was trying to he was trying to you know when you mess with the money, that's when the hammer comes down, of course. But so yeah, he he basically tried some spy shit, some sleuth ass shit, and they're like. This isn't one of your movies. You're going to jail for 10 years, and that's what happened. So Rollerball was actually the second Norman Jewison movie that he remade, the first being <laughs> our subject today, The Thomas mm-hmm. Crown Affair. Very strange coincidence there. But yeah, during the production of Rollerball, he got this like sleazy Hollywood private detective uh, to like wiretap his producing partner. And uh, sorry, I want to look up the thing because I want to see the sleazy Hollywood detective's uh, name. Um, It's this guy, Anthony Pelicano, who is known as like a Hollywood fixer and like a uh, private dick kind of and is now just like in jail for like firearm and drug charges, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Uh, But regardless, so he got him to wiretap the producing partner on Rollerball to try and get him to say anything that would contradict what he had agreed with the studio on basically trying to rat out his producer to get that guy off the movie so he could produce it on his own because he thought that producer was kind of going off the script of what they had agreed on and then you know a sidebar to this this is just a lawsuit that never actually got resolved around the same time he was accused of using the same fixer slash dick to wiretap his now ex-wife during divorce proceedings. Uh, this is just a lawsuit that was, I believe, dropped while he was serving time in prison. <laughs> this guy, McTernan's insane, bro. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's sending, yeah, he's sending private investigators on everyone in his life, just being like, you know. But I guess someone who seems to live a spy, sleuth, slick man lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What better than a man who's constantly in that mentality to make these type of movies? Uh, His sentence was like 
a bit much just uh, you know they, they were gonna say like a you know a year even though it's at a very cushy prison a prison that was voted by forbes as one of the top 10 cushiest prisons <laughs> <laughs> like what a sick list the, the wolf of wall street <laughs> tennis and lobster treatment there uh, but, you know, it's not real. Just like in Wolf of Wall Street, all of that uh, stuff at the fancy prison being CGI'd, if you haven't seen that uh, fancy CGI video about the Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. prison made him sad and it made him depleted. And according to his, I guess, now wife, uh, you know, you know, just because it's a cushy prison, it really did damage to McTiernan, though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it would suck. It yeah. would suck. It would yeah, fucking suck. suck. It yeah. would suck. You don't get to make movies? Come on. Uh, so yeah, he is now out of jail and is broke because he had to declare bankruptcy while he was in jail. Uh, and apparently the, you know, it seemed like they were kind of out to make an example out of him, despite the fact that his Hollywood career had already kind of really gone downhill by the time this was happening. Uh, it's pretty sad to see. It's like, you could either read it extremely demonically as in, uh, you know, Hollywood was done with him. So they turned him over to the state pretty much. <laughs> uh, or it's just like they wanted to make an example out of a Hollywood guy. And this wasn't too big of a risk to take. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably the more likely of the scenario, but uh, that's, that's just very strange. It's yeah. a very strange turn of events for John McTernan. For those who don't know, John McTiernan, um, his breakout hit, of course, was Predator, but his first movie was, what's it called? Oh, Nomads, uh, starring Pierce Brosnan, who would, you know, come back for this movie. Uh, But after Nomads, you know, he does Predator, he does Die Hard, uh, he does Die Hard with a Vengeance, you know, two of my favorite movies, honestly, that I've seen in the last couple years. Not that I'd never seen Die Hard before, but rewatching it and then seeing Die Hard with a Vengeance recently solidified my pure, just like adoration of John McTiernan's style, his formal approach, (laughs) you know, as as a formalistic viewer. Yeah, I don't know. I I just think that McTiernan is such a precise filmmaker. It's no coincidence that one of the earliest images in this film is Pierce Brosnan looking at a fancy watch as his genre exercises always operate like clockwork, despite the, you know, spontaneity of his style kind of deceiving you otherwise. Um, yeah, I love John McTiernan. I love the Thomas Crown affair. Yeah, no, there's so much like concentrated swag in this movie. And like in, I mean, obviously in the obvious parts where it's like the lifestyle that, uh, Brosnan has in this is just so outrageous and insane, but like the first 20 minutes being just like devoted to that heist and then like calling back to that, like at the end there and in such a stylish and fun way that like, I don't know, those two scenes like alone just like cement this as just like a great film for me. No, yeah. Watching this movie, it is like, yeah, you have the museum sequences like at the beginning and end, which are both great. You almost kind of get off to like uh, the, like you said, the clockwork, the mechanic like feel of, you know, of the pacing of the, uh, of these scenes. And uh, McTiernan, you know, is always just, you know, visually, just always has like a like a pinpoint direction you know he does a lot of like the overhead shots too you know to kind of give a full landscape of what's going on and then it's like you know if that's are the if those are the bread slices of the movie you know the meat is just like jt said this is pure lifestyle pornography this (laughs) is pierce bronson you know 
basically living the most interesting life you know anyone could ever leave using his the great wealth he's acquired to live you know uh, grand lifestyles and it's uh the wealth he's acquired in the acquisitions business true <laughs> and it's all about luxuriating in that you know visually and just like you know even the characters themselves just kind of enjoying that it's that you know that's the the fun of the movie basically yeah, yeah pierce brosnan is tom's crown who's a billionaire who made his money in acquisitions and <laughs> owns the met and steals one of his own extremely valuable monet paintings just for fun uh he loves women and has some psychological issues as we see him uh attending therapy sessions throughout the movie Rene russo is the, for some reason, incredibly horny insurance claims investigator <laughs> who is just crazy enough to match his style. Uh, Dennis Leary is also the cop who is supposed to be solving all of these crimes. It is kind of just like, he he helps her out a fair amount, but a lot of times he's just kind of three steps behind. Uh, it's yeah. very funny that there's like an entire police procedural happening on the side of this movie. And I feel like McTiernan is attuned enough to the genre conventions to kind of know how that is working out on the side, but letting us focus on the whirlwind uh, cat and mouse game turned romance of Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo. Yeah, it's kind of like it's about, you know, Pierce Bronson's kind of swag, you know, the way he walks or whatever. Kind of just overpowering everything. Sorry, every <laughs> so you keep saying Pierce Bronson? Bronson? What's his name? Brosnan. Brosnan. I don't fucking care. To be honest. <laughs> Brosnan. Uh, you know, great performance here. I'll just call him Pierce. Uh, <laughs> but, uh,. I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. So sorry. No, it's, no, no, no. It's okay. Uh, but now I'm imagining this with Charles Bronson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, with the Rene Russo character, it kind of like, you know, it kind of begins, you know, with the classical genre conventions. Like, this is, this woman's like a hard ass. Like, she's going to yeah. go out, solve the case. And like, that dynamic is kind of underlying even throughout, you know, when things get more romantic between her and Pierce. But yeah, it's just funny how like, it seems like, you know, she's going to be like the, the, you know, it's going to be like the interplay of like, they're going to have that push back and forth of like, you know, we're kind of getting off that, like, you know, you're the insurance investigator that's supposed to get me or whatever that, you know, they like that. But at the, she just eventually is like, you know what? I don't care. Like, I just want to live this guy's life. It seems yeah. sick. His lifestyle <laughs> convinced her. I mean, just McTiernan knows how little like the plot mechanics or like reasoning behind things like matter and something like this he just delivers on it being like stylish and sexy and mm -hmm. fun mm -hmm. like the uh the dance where she like uh is with uh brosnan at the like gala ball or whatever and just like she's really shaking her ass about <laughs> that is insanely yeah. horny and it's so funny how many pov shots mctiernan indulges in where of course brosnan's pov is indulging and in looking at her ass the whole time <laughs> but it's just like shit like that like i it, mean that's what fuels their entire relationship it's a pure like physical chemistry thing their wits matching is what makes it so difficult because all they want to do is just fuck each other pretty much mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, you know, talk of like McTurnan 
goes life, you know, lifestyle cinematography, you know what I mean? It's not enough just, you know, to have sex with this woman. I'm having sex with this woman in my huge house. <laughs> we're doing it in various different places. And where it's I'm like gonna, one shot fading to the next of a camera moving across them having sex and then into a painting and then fading to another painting and across them having sex again, interspersed once in a while with an overhead God's eye view of them, you true. know, just naked in a yeah. huge open space. We're just going to be naked in an island and maybe maybe I throw away the painting I stole. <laughs> no, the overhead stuff is great too because that's that's the ultimate life. I'm going to say lifestyle every single time I speak yeah. in this, but the lifestyleism of it because it's just it's just like they're so small in it and it's just you know you're feeling the vastness of the house and it's like, mm-hmm. damn, this guy has so much shit. <laughs> this guy <laughs> oh, yeah. fucking rules. <laughs> I like how uh, you know you have this romance movie. This basically like this softcore movie that takes place over the course of like eighty minutes with two heist set pieces on each end of it. Uh, and the first one, the introduction, you know, everything's a little more vague, and it's more about exploring the space. And it really reminded me more than anything of the opening set piece of Brian De Palma's Femme Fatale. Yeah, where especially with the score is very similarly lighthearted, despite this being a you know masterful heist going on. It's all just very you know nice and uh, gently guiding you through the heist with these very smooth camera movements and cuts that almost seem like they're on the rhythm of this like very you know sweeping score Mm -hmm. uh and you just see brosnan introduced in the funniest ways just over and over you get these introductions of him like you get a classic uh, what do you think you own the building hey that guy owns the building (laughs) (laughs) the way music is used in this movie is it definitely caught my attention because it goes back and forth from the score that's kind of like the femme fatale one to just like pretty much a softcore score yeah no there's like like the variation of there's like some very slick cool yeah. sounding like Cinnamon in that opening sequence oh, is amazing great. and it's just like it almost feels like intelligent in a way and then like there's other parts of the soundtrack that are just a little bit more hokey like you know what i yeah, mean it's and weird because it yeah. goes between yeah that original score that it opens with and then the Cinnamon needle drop that returns a little bit later not in full but the original deployment of it is fucking amazing mm-hmm. uh that was when i was just like oh this is gonna be a classic movie kind of mm. uh but then yeah it gets into that the, that kind of greasy fucking skinamax music <laughs> once in a while it's just like it's funny because it's a little bit ironic but it's also fully indulging and in like it doesn't feel as sleazy as a lot of other you know erotic thrillers would be but this isn't an erotic thriller this is a heist movie and a romance that is very sex charged (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i think that's maybe why people didn't fully respond to it is like they were so subject to sleaze by this point that this one is like a little more tasteful you know it's like uh despite there being a lot of nudity and it it feels very tasteful in its nudity or at least tries to be despite the fact that the the music creates a strange tone but i don't know i feel like it's such a crazy balancing act of multiple tones in this movie that mctiernan somehow pulls off you know what it is this movie is just the the movie uh the movification of adult contemporary bro this is this, this is like the most adult contemporary movie I mean, of all time it's so light and breezy the yeah. whole way through i mean yeah, even yeah. at the end that it's just like he just stole the paintings because he could like just kind of fucking around and then densely doesn't even give a shit yeah, i don't care he's like yeah I don't, 
who cares? Like, I forgot what like a uh, theme song from a movie we've watched recently, not recently, but on this podcast you described as adult contemporary Malcolm. Yeah. I think it was the Michael McDonald theme song from crackers, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just imagining now like, uh, yeah, Pierce Brosnan listening to that in his car while his driver drives him around like on a day where he's not doing a heist. It feels very appropriate. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, it's just, it's, Hey, it's that grown man swag. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it, it's like adult contemporary and like well i'm actually i'm getting into i'm i was about to go completely off the rails but um i like the fact that like these are people in their like 40s as well too you know what i mean and it's like unlike hardly working you know everything goes down super easy in in, in this movie everything kept themselves in shape over the years yeah and there's like there's no like 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 there's no overthinking about it you know if the character even like the therapy scenes right where those are kind of supposed to be like all right we're pulling back the veneer a little bit of Bro- brosnan how yes, do you yes. brosnan yeah the film Ooh. opens yeah. with uh her asking him i want you to talk about women which is such a great yeah, line. yeah. <laughs> he gets to talk about how much he loves women on his dr t shit yeah and uh but yeah even these scenes are so lighthearted to an extent where it doesn't really do that and like yeah i don't know everything just kind of comes natural here even you know what you said about kind of like the procedural cop subplot with between leary and i i forgot the actor's name um but like you know they there's like a real like kind of uh easy dynamic going on there Mm -hmm. that's not called attention to too much but like you know when it's deployed it like it 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 feels feels like nothing it's and uh and it's it's like you said it feels like they're three steps behind but i guess by the end larry's like i don't i don't fucking care yeah i don't care but but also i like kind of like at the beginning where it's like he's kind of like the cucked guy because like he tries asking her out tries asking out russo and like and then he just has to watch as like Mc, you know McTiernan, um, Brosnan. Hey, um, if he could have a stand-in, that's yeah. as great of a director stand-in as you could find. As as you know, Mister Crown, you know, gallivants about town with her. You know, just uh, you know, the most expensive dates in the world, and he's just kind of like ah, and that's. But it also kind of just drops that too. It is like. Very good performance by Dennis Leary. I feel like I've, Dude, oh, I've yeah. never seen him in a movie better. He chews it up just enough, you yeah. know? Like, it could be a t- cop procedural show. He could have his character coming in like that once mm-hmm. in a while, you know? The way he mugs at the big statue <laughs> in Thomas Crown's house, like, that has the big feet and the big titties. <laughs> he looks at it, gives it a funny face, and McTiernan just kind of holds on that for a couple seconds. It's a good moment. It is a very good moment. Um, and then, yeah, I love the dynamic between him and Rene Russo. So especially after she denies him and they just kind of have to work together, but not really together. They're almost opposing, even though they're after the same goal. And uh, anytime she just comes by the police station, you know, gets a Pepsi one out of the vending machine and chugs it while they're way behind on their research, you know. (laughs) And then, you know, Leary's like, oh, nice dress. So, you know, I saw you in it last night. <laughs> ah, whatever, whatever. Never mind. Let's I don't just care. Get to, let's just get to work. I, I just do what they tell me. <laughs> I love how uh, also McTiernan reduces his cop role at the end to like literally him just saying, I just follow orders. Like, yeah. <laughs> he just has nothing. Like by the end of it, he's so defeated. He's just like, yeah, I truly don't care. You can't compete with the, the swag that's on screen. You know what I mean? It's uh, a, <laughs> It's like this guy. This guy's pulling all these elaborate schemes. You know what, pal? You could go and run them. I yeah. don't. I don't need to get involved with it. <laughs> He's you going could, wind sailing in those yeah. boats from Tenet. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like, I'll stick to my nine to five. I'm going to file the papers, pal. I can't stop you. (laughs) (laughs) I love during the investigation uh, when Rene Russo has that like brass knuckle switchblade. (laughs) The first time that uh, Thomas Crown fools them when he, uh, you know, puts what looks like the stolen painting uh, in an obvious place in his house for Russo to unveil with said brass knuckle switchblade. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which turns out to be a a fake you know it's that painting laid over uh the the dogs playing poker classic and so the forgery element comes in there and never really goes away you know and i think forgery being a part of this uh is a really good kind of thematic tool to lean into the artificiality of this movie uh this movie is very heightened it's more or i don't wouldn't say heightened more but heightened in a different way than the diehard movies per se uh, in a way that you kind of do have to suspend your disbelief once in a while, like when Brosnan folds the $10 million painting in half and seemingly <laughs> there's like no damage done by that. I was thinking about that and like I was, I was just like, it's probably just not best to think about that. Yeah, like, but I thought yeah. about that for like, like 15 seconds. I was of like, like the airplane second. date and like everything, yeah. you know, anytime you put logistics into it and it's like, no, this one it's is like, so yeah, much more about like just that thrill of the relationship between them and how he lives this very you know he would say a very logical life before this and that's why he needs to steal his own paintings he needs to spice it up a little bit and it just becomes this you know whirlwind kind of old school screwball almost romance that evades all logic for the sake of the chemistry between the two actors then you got mr logic uh, leary coming back in toward the end he's like look we could set this guy up pretty easy but I guess I don't care, so whatever. (laughs) I mean, yeah, with this movie, like, you're supposed to kind of get caught up in the thrill or just the spectacle of it all or just, you know, and it moves at such a pace to where it's, like, it definitely helps you, you know, not sit and reflect too much, you know what I mean? It's easier to suspend, you know, disbelief, not think about logistics when, you know, you kind of have your pacing and especially, you know, with these high sequences that, you know, they're timed to such a certain amount that it's it's you know much like the Rene Russo character it's about getting caught up in the hype and you know and all the mix rather than thinking like uh logically but you know the good movies good action movies you know specifically you know will move at a pace to where it's like all right I'm not going to let you think about it I'm just going to let you enjoy this on a pure craft level or whatnot and this movie is a great example of that the the third act comes around with this replacement caper uh, you know, Pierce Brosnan's got to replace his own stolen painting, and he promises Rene Russo, you know, uh, meet me at the the helicopter pad after I do it, and we'll go away together. And so this caper is done by uh, getting a bunch of guys in bowler hats. <laughs> Fucking rules, so epic. <laughs> you just get a hundred dudes in bowler hats swarming the museum, and uh, I don't know, it's just as you know, precise as the first one, but I feel like as an audience member, you're much more in on it this time because you at least understand the intentions, even if you don't know the plan beforehand. And just watching it all go down like clockwork is so perfect. You get all these perfectly smooth, steady cam moves of following these guys, but then once in a while you'll get more shaky cam stuff on like the cops that are totally losing track of where everyone is. And it's just a big old game of misdirection and it's accomplished beautifully and uh the way he does it is 
the replacement one's been in there the whole time. That was his donation. He just fucking throws smoke bombs into <laughs> the room and it sets off the sprinklers. So fucking crazy. That that scene when the sprinklers are going off and he's just like dolling the camera past all of these paintings that are getting covered up by these like steel frames or whatever and the fog is cl- uh, clogging up the room. Oh my God. Just one of my favorite sequences in the movie. Yeah. You know, this, this sequence does feel a little bit different from the first one. Yeah, because I feel like yeah, we're we're like we're on Mr. Crown's side, right? We're you know we're we're hyped up. Renee Russo herself during the scene, you know, she's just smiling as every twist and turn, you know, as Crown takes, as you know, he deceives yet another uh, museum cop. And yeah, I I I like kind of like that evolution of it because it is like there's something about that first sequence that hits just a little bit harder. But I like that you know you could use a a different high scene to kind of hit different notes. Mm-hmm. And uh, McTurnan kind of, you know, knowing action to such a great degree, he could kind of use it for different reasons, even than just like being like, hey, that looks cool, you know? Yeah. And I mean, in the first, like it accomplishes different things. I think in the first one, it's like you're still figuring out like what is Thomas Crown's swag? Like you get a little (laughs) bit of everyone, like everyone in the office loves him, but you're not. I don't think it makes apparent that he's like involved in the heist like mm-hmm. right away. I yeah. mean, there's like a clear connection, but like you're not, sh- you're, you're, you're still figuring it out at that point. And then I like the like less tense and more playful tone there. The little victory mm-hmm. lap heist. I Tom, like uh, yeah. in the initial one where you see those like board members or whatever he's with in the office. And there's just this one dude dribbling a basketball the whole time. <laughs> I don't know why that guy stuck out to me. It's just very funny. That scene's very funny because like there's so much contempt for all the other dudes in the yeah. office in that scene, which is kind of out of left field. Like you don't really feel that with the cops or anything like that. Um, and the next yeah. business meeting you see him take after that first heist too. He just completely hates the people he's dealing with, and they're like, yeah. they think they're ripping him off. And they're yeah, like, he's celebrating. He's like, yeah, yeah, don't celebrate too fast, buddy. You know, <laughs> well, life catches up with you. It's <laughs> you know? so like I'm gonna go wind sailing. Yeah. I don't care. Uh, Thomas Crown, what a rich man's name. You know what I mean? That yes. you have to be rich if your name Thomas Crown. That's that's money. That's a that's a money name. That is a money name. <laughs> After this heist, you know, Rene Russo thinks he like plays another trick on her, like, games. you know, just just a little mind game to fuck with her at the end, makes her think that he abandoned her uh, and just gave her the painting that she wanted. But he like, you know, is on the plane that she was going to go on and surprises her or whatever. And, and then like they a Scottish just, like, accent. Yeah. And then <laughs> they like start fighting on the plane and the stewardess is like, ma'am, you know, you need to get back in your seat. And then they just start like making out vigorously. And she just like looks on smiling at them. She's like, nice. They're getting yeah. it in. Respect. It's such a funny <laughs> ending. Uh, and it just also feels more fake than the rest of it. It's like yeah. such a clear, like studio fake plane interior. And I don't know. It just feels so unreal, but in a way that is a perfect way to end this movie that kind of escalates in how seemingly unreal it is, even though. McTiernan's sense of like action is so grounded in reality and you know the the physics of camera movement and like moving bodies across the frame and whatnot and you know I just uh I think this movie moves just like one of uh, Mr. Crown's fancy watches just like clockwork I'd, I'd have to agree and it's you know it's all the, it's all about the games you know we love playing games and the games, you know, the games don't stop. Like the movie literally ends, game just been played, 
you know, it's it's now it's a play the new game. Can we have sex on a plane? Exactly. Yeah. It's it's hey playfulness. We love playfulness, and this movie is definitely playful. Uh, the first credit after like unit production manager or whatever, it's like no real museums were used. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Yeah, that's like, who cares? That's that's definitely some weird John McTurnan personal life legal battle shit to where <laughs> like it cannot be known that he shot in the museum or else he was going to go to jail or something like that. <laughs> I think I think I'm going to look and McTurnan might have a lot of run-ins with the law. Just based off his, you know, one arrest. You know how usually it'll say like this motion picture is no way like reality or whatever like that. You know, uh, no mm-hmm. way based on real people. This is what it says. And this is like before the cast rules even. It says this motion picture was in no way authorized, sponsored, or endorsed by any museum. Nor was any portion of the motion picture filmed inside a museum. The events, characters, and other entities, including the museum, depicted in this motion picture are fictitious and any similarity to actual persons, events, or other entities is purely coincidental. I don't know why he had to go so hard on, like, the, like, is there, like, a museum curator alliance that doesn't stand for this kind of hijinks? I think he, I think he got in trouble. Like I think you know, I think he like I think he <laughs> He's shot already getting in trouble. Yeah, I think he shot at a museum and like maybe he tried to swipe a painting or do some weird shit. And they're they're like, you, we cannot be associated with your movie. I yeah, don't know. That's fucked up. You know what? If I wanted to see a museum, I would just look through a bunch of stills of freaking Die Hard. Because that movie is a piece of art. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's old. It's pretty old by now too. Like. That's I associate that with museums. I just want John to come back, man. Like he yeah. he had something in development that got killed, like because of COVID. I think. Damn. But uh, bring him back. Bring him back to the fold. Maybe if we we get a viral campaign, everyone watches that Tom Clancy commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it to a million views yeah, and like run up the comments. Hits, dude. <laughs> Extended clips sent us here. Uh, John McTiernan at like seventy five years old, just like oh the the Tom Clancy ad I got <laughs> going viral. <laughs> Tom Clancy must be a rich man. He's got books. He's got games. This guy does it all. He's a real Thomas Crown type of guy. Um, (laughs) McTiernan, yeah, don't be afraid to roll out that Kickstarter, bro. (laughs) I'll I'll kick you five. I'll kick you five. JT, do you have a pick for the next After Hours episode that we're going to do? Yes, I do. This was one I read the tagline on Letterboxd, and I was like, okay, this is definitely the pick. Um, but I've wanted to watch more Coppola. I've only seen, I think, the Godfather movies, uh, Conversation, Apocalypse Now, and Dracula. The big hits. Classics. And I want to dig a little deeper. And the tagline is, uh, when Francis Ford Coppola makes a love story, don't expect hearts and flowers. <laughs> and this is uh, one from the heart Ooh. from 1981. I've, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time, despite the fact that it heavily features music by Tom Waits. <laughs> True, you're, you're big enemy. I uh, wouldn't call him my enemy or anything <laughs> like that. I'm just, I'm not a fan. Yeah. I like his acting. Yeah. I like his acting. Eddie's, Eddie's like, I don't even think about him that much. Yeah. It's not even <laughs> no, 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 no. There's, there's like literally hundreds of people I dislike more than Tom Waits yeah. in the music world. Let's not, let's not make that a thing about it, me. You, you just don't prefer him. You just don't. I mean, to, I would just say I prefer his acting. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, and he's making movie music here. True. So yeah, yeah. that's something I've, different. I've not listened to that much Tom Waits either. I can't even claim to be a fan. Yeah, but I'm not gonna let you, you know, Clockwork Orange style, make me listen to freaking <laughs> watch Tom Waits music videos. Well, that's something I definitely wanted to do. So I'm really, I'm really pissed off that I can't do that. You know me, man. I fucking love 
Tom. I'm wearing like a Tom Waits hat right now. And then <laughs> it was for the I sake have, like, of buttons like... that say Tom Waits <laughs> on my jacket. <laughs> I did watch the Tom Waits music video once for the sake of Jim Jarmusch completism, and I don't really remember it, so it's not even worth saying. We'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs>